You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. This afternoon, I would ask you to turn to the book of Leviticus, chapter 11. As Israel of old was uh, instructed to be set apart, to be holy, for the Lord is holy. And uh, that is a direct connection to what we're considering um, in First Peter chapter 1, Lord's Day 13, that Old Testament Israel heard this same command. And we are reminded that we too, as God's people, are set apart to be His special possession and undefiled and his own special people in the earth. So let's see this in the Old Testament. Leviticus chapter 11, beginning at verse 24. You will make yourselves unclean by these. Whoever touches their carcasses will be unclean till evening. Whoever picks up one of their carcasses must wash his clothes, and he will be unclean till evening. Every animal that has a split hoof, not completely divided, or, or that does not chew the cut is unclean for you. Whoever touches the carcass of any of them will be unclean. Of all the animals that walk on all fours, those that walk on their paws are unclean for you. Whoever touches their carcasses will be unclean till evening. Anyone who picks up their carcasses must wash his clothes and he will be unclean till evening. They are unclean for you. Of the animals that move about on the ground, these are unclean for you. The weasel, the rat, any kind of great lizard, the gecko, the monitor lizard, and the wall lizard, the skink, and the chamelon. Of all those that move along the ground, these are unclean for you. Whoever touches them when they are dead will be unclean till evening. When one of them dies and falls on something, that article, whatever its use, will be unclean, whether it is made of wood, cloth, hide, or sackcloth. Put it in water. It will be unclean till evening, and then it will be clean. If one of them falls into a clay pot, everything in it will be unclean, and you must break the pot. Any food that could be eaten but has water on it from such a pot is unclean, and any liquid that could be drunk from it is unclean. Anything that one of their carcasses falls on becomes unclean, An oven or cooking pot must be broken up. They are unclean, and you are to regard them as unclean. A spring, however, or a cistern for collecting water remains clean, but anyone who touches one of these carcasses is unclean. If a carcass falls on any seeds that are to be planted, they remain clean. But if water has been put on the seed and a carcass falls on it, it is unclean for you. If an animal that you are allowed to eat dies, anyone who touches the carcass will be unclean till evening. Anyone who eats some of the carcass must wash his clothes and he will be unclean till evening. Anyone who picks up the carcass must wash his clothes and he will be unclean till evening. Every creature that moves about on the ground is detestable. It is not to be eaten. You are not to eat any creature that moves about on the ground, whether it moves on its belly or walks on all fours or on many feet. It is detestable. Do not defile yourselves by any of these creatures. Do not make yourselves unclean by means of them or be made unclean by them. I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves and be holy because I am holy. Do not make yourselves unclean by any creature that moves about on the ground. I am the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt to be your God. Therefore, be holy because I am holy. Let's turn to the book of First Peter. This afternoon we're focusing on verses 13 through 21 
of First Peter in connection with Lord's Day 13. And following that, then I will read question and answer number 34. First Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 13. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God." Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. And we'll end the reading of God's word there. Uh, In the back of um, the book of praise on page 487, we have this question, question and answer 34. Why do you call him our Lord? And the answer to that is because he has ransomed us, body and soul, from all our sins, not with silver or gold, but with his precious blood, and has freed us from all the power of the devil to make us his own possession. Beloved in the Lord, uh, this afternoon I am focusing particularly on the issue of the lordship of Jesus Christ. What does it mean that we call Jesus our Lord. I'm not sure that there really is is any more important question that encompasses uh, what the Christian life is with an understanding of what Jesus has done, what he has accomplished in our place, and what that then in turn means our response should be as Christians. What does it mean that I embrace Jesus as Lord? I've always, at least growing up, was somewhat confused by this. I was confused because of the radical calls uh, that Jesus gave in contrast to what I was experiencing in so many uh, who claimed to be Christians but lived nothing like one. I'll never forget I had a friend who had made a profession of faith, supposedly had been converted, seemed to be genuine. You know, He was out telling everyone about his faith in Jesus and he was telling people about the gospel, and yet uh, the things that he was involved with in his life demonstrated absolutely no understanding at all of what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. Well, you'll notice this here. Our catechism recognizes the importance of this. The reformers understood the importance of this as to why we would call Jesus our Lord. The Greek word, of course, being kurios, which means uh, literally master or owner. The answer that the Bible gives us over and over and over again is that he bought us. 
He bought us. He purchased us. As a matter of fact, just to survey a few of the scriptures that deal with this subject, 1 Corinthians 6.20, for you were bought at a price, and I've picked up on that in the sermon title, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. 1 Corinthians 7.23, you were bought at a price, do not become slaves of men. We can go on, 2 Corinthians 5.14, For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died, and he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. And one others, Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You hear it? Over and over and over. That Jesus, his uh, precious work on the cross, has effectually paid and purchased uh, a whole multitude of people who are set apart by his blood to become what he wants them to become. And that means something for the Christian. That means something for the Christian who understands the weight of what Jesus had to go through to buy us, to purchase us, to set us apart, to be holy as he is holy. One of the most moving passages... uh, that really puts this on display is, is Romans 6. And I, I was so touched by this last, as I went through the book of Romans and preached through Romans, um, that you had this great transition in chapter 6, that in those first chapters, 3, 4, and 5, Paul was, was making the case and, and, and showing us how we are justified by faith alone and Christ alone, not by our works, not by anything that we do, but that uh, there's a righteousness that is outside of us uh, that Jesus has provided and that I apprehend and that I receive that righteousness by faith alone. And then after he had made this beautiful case for that, that we have peace with God because of this, he then said in Romans chapter 6, that means something then has happened to our life. That means something radical has happened to our life. Um, He says in Romans 6 that the old man was crucified with him. That the body of sin might be done away with. So in other words, uh, what Christ accomplished for you is death to a whole way of life and the raising up to a whole new one. That radical, radical break with the past. And what moved me is is the way that then the Apostle Paul went to, to challenge Christians in that, where he essentially said, look, there's, there's no middle ground. You are either then a slave of your sin or you are a slave of Christ. We like to think there's neutrality and that, that I'm going to choose one or the other and that I'm in a neutral state. And he says, no, you are either here or you are here. Slave of sin, slave of Christ, no middle ground. Alive to God in Christ, our master, our owner, that clean break, that clean break with the past is always the perspective of of the New Testament writers. Uh, So radical, I know that we haven't in 
today's Christianity often wanted to make it such a radical break. It's just common today uh, to accept just any and every profession regardless of lifestyle. But with the Lord, and, and as we look at the weight of this in, in light of the Bible and all of that it speaks of regarding uh, the person and the work of Jesus Christ, this is a very serious issue today. Um, because it has everything to do with Christ's precious blood. Notice how it's always referred to, precious, valuable blood. He does not redeem to let someone continue in a pattern and course of sin that grace may abound. He redeems to set free. He redeems to set you free that you might now have that liberty to be called sons and to know it and to live it in fullness of joy, inexpressible, as Peter says in this very chapter. The whole new way of life that submits to, yes, his lordship. Well, that's what Peter is dealing with here in 1 Peter chapter 1. Because at the beginning of of 1 Peter, uh, we read back at verse 3, and I I want you to hear uh, this wonderful language. So look up uh, back at at 1 Peter 1 at verse 3, uh, where we read there, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth. There it is. Into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. What a section of Scripture, right? What a section of scripture, uh, new birth, begotten us to this living hope through the resurrection. And, and think of the language here. He has secured for us in heaven, secured for us that does not spoil, that does not fade, an inheritance that is kept, reserved for you as you in your lives are kept by the power of God. Ready to be revealed when Jesus comes It's going to be revealed, his keeping power, his preserving power. This, beloved, is glorious stuff. Heaven reserved. I need to hear that over and over. I need to be reminded of that over and over. In fact, in in verse 8, he goes on, uh, Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Wow. Doesn't get a whole lot better than that, beloved. That's the life he's marked out for you in purchasing you. That's what he's given you. And nobody can just sit dull through that. That's the most exciting thing, says Peter, that God would do this for sinners and fill you with joy inexpressible. Now, what then? What then? He's done all that for us. What now? That's where Peter turns. He focuses on the believer's response to this. 
He focuses on our response to this, and that's where we get into why we call him Lord. So we're looking at at what a Christian is, why we call him Lord, how we live, the very practical stuff of Christianity, now that he has set us apart and bought us to be his. So in other words, you want to call Jesus Lord, do you? Now Jesus, I've always been amazed, was uh, as I read through the Gospels over and over again, Jesus was so hard-hitting. You read Jesus uh, at times and, and you think, this is so confrontive. Who in the world can measure up to this? I mean, think of Luke 9, verse uh, 20, 23. If anyone desires to come after me, so we had that first song, come. We come to you, Lord Jesus, okay? Anyone who wants to come, anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Wow. And go on to Luke 14. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and his mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. That is an all-out assault. That was an all-out assault on the religion of the Pharisees who had their paper religion, was a house of cards, they had a religion of rules, and nobody was keeping God's law. And Jesus comes, and the issue with these calls was never just clean up your life and get with the program, guys, or you're not going to make it. In all of these gospel calls, they were so utterly crushing for one reason. What Jesus was doing was he was showing the sinner the impossibility of conforming himself to this standard. And that is why the gospel would always, in the gospel accounts, it would put a giant spotlight for us to see and it would spotlight all these really bad struggling sinners. Women who had flows of blood and people who just could, they touched the hem of his garment and people carried to him on beds and paralytics and, and, and all of these problems, leprous people, foul people. And the gospel would always shine and say, these are the people that came. These are the ones that truly come. People like this who need, not through a religion of rules and pride. Because no one can measure up to God's standard. And so these were were all out assaults by Jesus on that kind of approach to coming to him. Jesus then would present the real truth of the matter. You shall know the truth, and the truth will do what? It will set you free. It'll set you free. The truth is that every man, every sinner needs to be set free from being under the law for condemnation. Set free from the bondage therein and that God had to provide a mediator for this to be so, who is Christ. And whoever comes to him, whoever believes in him, having been justified by faith, the the, the consequence of that, the natural consequence of that, is that then, at that point, he's died to the self, and he becomes alive to live this whole new life for Christ. 
that he is set apart to do and to be because the Holy Spirit has sealed his heart for the day of redemption. That must be so. Now this is so important for us to understand uh, today that the basis upon which any uh, Christian leads a holy life of sanctification, which is God's will for us, is that he has, by Christ's blood, been set free and has died to a whole way of life and been raised to a new one. Now, Peter is working from that truth. He said it in in, in the first verses of, of chapter 1, that there's a new birth, begotten, raised to this whole new life. And he's working from this. And, and this becomes the basis, this becomes the heart for his calling to a whole new changed way of living. So notice verse 18 uh, in 1 Peter 1. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things. That you were not redeemed with corruptible things. It says in the NIV, for notice that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of the life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Beautiful verse. So, he's motivating us. He's motivating us to response to everything that Jesus has done for us. He says, Christians, think about the truth of the matter. Think about the reality of what has happened for you. If you've taken up Jesus as the Lord of your life, you've confessed him and rested upon him in true faith, you were bought. And you weren't bought with, with silver. You weren't, you weren't bought with gold, the things that are finest to us. Uh, you were bought with the valuable, with the precious blood of Christ. In other words, the price of your freedom today to be assured that heaven is reserved for you was the blood of somebody else. And that you have all this, these riches in the heavenly places stored for you, set apart for you, uh, to be assured that they are there for you. The price of that was the life of someone, and not just the life of someone, but the amazing truth of our gospel, which we can never get over, and we can never leave, and we can never become cold to, is the fact that you were purchased by this Jesus, His blood. The pure Lamb. The one who is true God, who is without spot, he did this. That has to have a bearing on us. That's essentially what Peter's saying. That has to affect you on some level. That has to. And he's saying, just reflect a minute on your redemption. Think about it. Now, we don't do this very much today. Uh, the reformers were very good at this. They made it a habit to sit and to reflect upon the precious blood of Christ. And I was stumbling on this from Luther, and I thought, it's so powerful. Um, I want to I want to read it today. Listen, listen carefully to what Luther said years ago. You must get this through your head and not doubt. Now listen. That you are the one who is torturing Christ talking about when he went to the cross. For your sins have surely brought this. Therefore, when you see the nails piercing Christ's hands, you can be certain that it is your work. 
When you behold his crown of thorns, you may rest assured that these are your evil thoughts piercing him. He says the real and true work of Christ's sufferings and death is to make us conformable to Christ so that our conscience is tormented by our sins as Christ was pitiably tormented in body and soul by our sins. Now listen to this. He says this meditation on what Christ did changes man's being, giving him a new birth. This is how we draw strength and encouragement from Christ against every vice and failing. This is really important. This is very important. Because I believe that is exactly the truth that Peter is having us uh, to consider here in 1 Peter 1. This is my big contention. That a message like this, by necessity, has to be life-changing. That redemption means redemption. That purchase means purchase. And that if he's done that, there is going to be fruit of that. And if there's no fruit, if, and the Apostle Paul would often give these, these long lists where he would say things like, if people can still remain um, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, if that's the characteristic, the pattern of one's life, then there's no understanding at all of what it means to call Jesus Lord, and that person, the Apostle would say, is a hypocrite. Hypocrite. They haven't stepped into understanding what the Christian life is and what lordship is and what confessing Jesus as Lord is. So where do you go with people like this? How do you address things like this? How do you uh, clean up and how do you motivate people to, 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 uh, to this kind of life? You help people get their life together. Well, you don't just start trying to straighten them out, do you? I think that's how initially we think. We think uh, the fundamental problem is just they need to get some things organized in their life. The fundamental problem is not intellectual. What do I mean by that? It's not about uh, what we ultimately... Uh, it's not about the struggle of, of certain um, facts or things. The fundamental problem, he's going to say, is moral. And that's, that's what we're looking at here. It's a moral issue. And when the problem is moral, then the problem is that there has not yet been the new birth. They're still dead in trespasses and sins. They're not redeemed from the bondage. So where do you go with such a person? Where do you start with people? You know, I, um, especially our young people, I, I don't believe I had any sort of um, understanding or at least um, wasn't converted uh, even morally, no real change in my life till 21 until I finally understood redemption and then that so penetrated me that it affected me on a moral level that I wanted to change. Christ's blood had power. Christ's uh, life has a transforming effect upon one's life. And the Lord didn't waken me until that, that age. It wasn't learned by legalism. It wasn't ultimately learned by a list of rules so that I could create uh, fig leaves. You know, what happened, at least on my level, was that I had reflected on the truth that it was my sin that impaled Christ to the cross. It was my sin that did that to him 
And that I understood for the first time that by virtue of His gospel love, I was free. By resting in Him. And that's always been my concern with conventions and and retreats and summits and they're always focused on bold Bible living for Jesus. So they're always focused on dare to be a Daniel or how to defeat a Goliath in your life. And it's focused on relationships. I had one person, young person come up to me and say, if I hear another one of these sessions on relationships, I'm going to get sick. Why don't we focus even with our young people, on the blood and the righteousness of Christ and to think about what he accomplished, what redemption means. And how a sinner must fall upon him and embrace him in faith because I know that that when I'm fixed on this redemption, the whole understanding that my life has been purchased, as Luther understood, that I had been bought. In other words, what it means to call Christ my Lord then means that I'm going to take on a whole new pursuit in how I live if I've really believed that. The Christian reflects upon the passion of Christ. The Christian hears of all of those terrible things that Jesus, the innocent lamb, suffered and in sensitivity um, of conscience to the fact that his sins caused that, says, Lord, As we see in Acts, what do I do? The call was always first, rest in Him, believe in Him, be baptized, be set apart, and now you're set apart to be His special treasure in the earth, holy, holy, holy. You're His holy vessel. Living what you are then becomes not a burden. Living what you've become does not become a burden. Let me speak to the young people here for a minute. I'm going to be open. When I was under my parents' roof, I was always pushing upon them independence. My independence. And it always felt, uh, to some degree, that mom and dad were, were holding me back from letting me be my own person. They just didn't understand, you know? So I was always pushing the limits. I was, I was always pushing them to, to some degree, challenging the rules. Uh, I was really good at manipulation, uh, attacks to, to, to get my way. So I would always say things like, uh, why are you guys so different than Johnny's parents? Because there's always Johnny's parents who are letting Johnny do things that it's amazing a parent would let Johnny do that, right? And I knew how to use those. I was good at that. And so, you know. Deep down, whether I ever really said it, I can't wait to get out of this house. I can't wait to be on my own. I'm going to exercise my independence. The sad irony to all of that is that I was was pushing for independence apart from the rules and protection that my parents had given over my life, which ultimately was intended because they loved me. Because they loved me. And they were given for me in love. To me, that was bondage. To me, that was bondage. So every child can work over mom and dad to some degree, you know. Um, If you don't get your way, you just progress to the next natural step. If you're going to pursue that and you're going to lie about where you're going and what you're doing. And so you manipulate your supposed freedom and where does it land you? Well, young people, if you're honest, you're not asking mom and dad to go out and do a Bible study. You're landing yourself in situations that are not honoring to the Lord. And I say this because looking at the pattern then, 
you have effectually, effectively manipulated your sin and worked your sin and earned your sin. Now, adults do this to, uh, do this in many degrees and they do it really unto the Lord directly. But I always felt at least growing up that the Lord never let me get real far. As one of his children, he never let me go very far. He always brought me back. And if you're one of his children, he's going to, he's going to bring you back, painful as it may be. But looking at my life, ultimately I had to come to the conclusion I was pushing for autonomy from the Lord because there had been no new birth yet. That's the pain of it, looking back. Nothing had happened. Nothing had happened. And once I understood the gospel, there was something And this is where I'm going with this uh, this afternoon. There was something about Christ going to the Garden of Gethsemane. They're saying something like this. My soul is exceedingly sorrowful unto death. How could I trample on that with my sin? When I began to, to reflect upon his scourgings and his beatings, and as Peter says, his precious blood that redeemed me from all of that... I couldn't just continue anymore in that sort of path or something like Luke 22. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. At that moment, it dawned on me. He is suffering the torments of an eternity's worth of hell that I would have had to go through forever Has that knowledge, I was confronted with this issue, has that knowledge set me free or not from the moral choices that I was making? Can I really trample Christ's blood underfoot? My conscience was so uh, afflicted after believing and knowing this, that Jesus would, would love me enough to do this and believing that truth by true faith, that now the strange thing happened is that the reverse happened. And that's what happens when you've, you've, you've genuinely embraced Christ and, and you know, everything has been changed and the old man has died. Uh, the things that you are now ashamed of, you cannot continue in because it's misery. You're you're miserable to pursue the old path. The Lord won't let you pursue the old path. You can't go in that old path. Um, It'll torment you to even try. And the Spirit will woo you back. He will bring you back. This is why Hebrews says that He does it through chastening love. He takes the direction of your life and your heart another way. That's the holistic view. You see, I had heard this freedom that Christ brings and that he's preached and that he's accomplished through his blood. And what I'm saying is that then it's no great burden for the Christian uh, when, when he thinks about what Christ has done and when he believes and rests in what Christ has done. All that with his precious blood redeemed him. It's no great burden to want to live that. It's no great burden anymore. It's not that Christianity is just this this painful list of rules. You know, I get a lot of people like that who come in and all they've been exposed to in Christianity is legalism, a list of rules, do's and don'ts. And if that's just battered down on people, you think they find Christianity attractive? Your sons, you're free not to go live 
lawless lives, but to live now what you are. That's the beauty of what we preach. That's the beauty of what the gospel does. It has set you, beloved brothers and sisters, free to be sons of the living God. That's what it means to call Christ our Lord. That I'm set free from tyranny. Notice the catechism says that. From the tyranny and bondage to my sin. And that now it is my chief delight to want to live for Him. That's the whole thrust. That from now on I will live for Him. Will there be struggles? Will there be sin? Sure. And what does First John say? If you sin, confess it. He is just to forgive it. Get up, dear Christian. You're a son. You see? Free. No longer slaves. So, so here's what lordship then, here's what calling Jesus Lord uh, looks like, sounds like. Think of Christ's blood and righteousness. I'm free. His, pre- his precious blood has freed me. Therefore, notice how Peter takes it then. Notice what he says in verse 13. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. That's the response. Gird up the loins of your mind. Um, You'll notice here it says be self-controlled. It it also means be sober. Rest your hope fully on the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. How wonderful that way is. I'm bought. I'm set free. I can live a life that is actually pleasing to him now. I can do works that are pleasing to him because they're done in true faith and the spirit lives in my heart. I am not now under bondage. I'm a son and I have that liberty as a son. And notice that Peter says that here. He says it real clearly as verse 14, obedient children. I love that. I just love that. A child of God. Notice he says, gird up the loins of your mind. Prepare your minds for action. It means tighten the belt. You know, you, people ever uh, get excited about doing a job, you know, they roll up the sleeves and they get excited to go do the job. That's exactly what Peter's saying. Roll up the sleeves, tighten up the belt, get excited to be at the will of the Lord because you're free. Prepare yourself for vigorous spiritual exertion. Um, here's your new way of life. Here's what Jesus has set you apart to do and to be for him. And the basis that you have for that, notice this, you have a hope, a living hope. Rest your hope fully upon the grace that's going to be revealed to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He's going to come. The clouds are going to open. The heavens are going to, are going to split. Jesus is going to be here and grace is going to be brought to you. And so lead that blameless and holy life that he's called you to leave. lead because he's coming. He's coming. You have a firm hope. He's coming. Heaven's reserved for you. He's going to take you there. He says, be sober. May your whole life be well-balanced, be self-controlled. Turn ahead to 1 Peter 4. You get a real um, picture again of, of how Peter is, is dealing with this. Um, this just just dispersed throughout the whole book. First um, Peter four verse one. Again, you have this this therefore here, and um, he's reacting to everything that Christ has done. Set apart, you're set apart by Christ. He said in the previous section, and then he says again. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in his body, this is 
First uh, Peter four one, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. As a result, he does not live the rest. And notice the break again: the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans chose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. Those is literally drinking parties. They think it's strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation and they heap abuse on you, but they will have to give an account to him who's ready to judge the living and the dead. They're not getting away with anything. He's going to come and he's going to judge all that stuff. But you guys, he says, dear Christians who have been set apart, you've done enough of that in your past. Now you're set apart now in the rest of your days now here since you have this hope. Live for the will of God. What is His will? What is His will? That we be holy as He is holy. You think, well, how in the world can I do that? (laughs) You know? I constantly struggle. I feel beat down. You know, I I, I make a little bit of progress. I, I get devotions in order. I... I uh, make some progress in the Christian life, and then boom, you know, one little thing derails me. Well, I believe strongly this is what Peter is challenging us to do, to remember when you have those moments that you are bought. That you're bought, that's done. Resting your hope in Him. And this phrase, children, remember You are a child adopted at some point by God's wonderful grace. You did nothing to earn it. You never will because he's done that for you. Peter says, be obedient children. Sometimes people really struggle with their pasts. You know, everyone has a past. Everyone has baggage. No one's free from that. The beautiful truth conveyed here for the Christian is that in calling Christ our Lord... Bowing to Him, the past is the past. You're new. You're a new creature in Christ. And everyone in the church needs to recognize that that goes on not only in our own hearts, but in the person next to you. You know, I'm real good at hearing a verse and saying, I hope so-and-so heard that one. No, that's for me. That verse is always for me. The Lord is always speaking directly to me. And to recognizing that The great beauty of what the ministry of the church is, is not only are we pulling sinners out of the fire, and not only are they being saved from hell, but that they are now set apart to be holy, and that we should expect, we should expect people who have been entrenched in sin and coming to Christ to be transformed, and excited for that. Excited for that. I love what he says in verse 15. He who called you is holy, You also be holy in all your conduct because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. You heard that long list in the Old Testament. Now you're set free. Christ's blood has set you free. Be holy. So, this afternoon I'll have you turn to one final place and we'll close with this. Turn to Galatians 5. 
13. You have the same language again set forth for you um, in its beauty. And it, 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 it contrasts the two ways, the two lives so powerfully. I, I want to leave us with this today. Uh, notice in verse 13. Again, notice the freedom language. Notice the son language. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. So you're free. Only do not use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things which you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, Selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past. Now here it is, that those who practice, there it is, it's a way of life. Those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And you've got to love verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love Joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there's no law. And those who are Christ's, here's the separation, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Christ's blood has set you free to that. That's what he's done for you. That's the life he's given you. That's a reason to leave here today with joy inexpressible, Peter says. In fullness of joy. Because not only is heaven reserved, but now you're a son free. Never having as a son to fear his wrath. But being treated as a son in love, he has set you apart to be holy as he is holy. So do you have a good understanding of what it means to call Jesus your Lord? Well, there it is. There it is. May we all today and tonight, as we go home, reflect upon Christ's life, death, and resurrection. And think of not only his precious blood, which has set us free, but the privilege now to be identified with him, in union with him, so that I can lead a life by his power and grace in the work of the Spirit that is holy, because he is holy. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.